Welcome to Speak Sex. I'm your host, Eve Eurydice, and today's guest is Kitty Chamblis. Um, Kitty is the founder of the website and movement, um, a Facebook page called Loving Without Boundaries. And uh, so we're gonna, I'd, I'd love to, you know, open the conversation to other topics, but we're gonna start with talking about your mission to kind of like, uh, you know, normalize uh, ethical non-monogamy and replace <laughs> what we, you know, have been taught uh, is the norm and is the appropriate and, and only, you know, way of like showing true love, which is monogamy, with ethical non-monogamy, which is not quite polyamory, uh, even though mm -hmm. I saw that, you know, you're supporting both. Um, mm -hmm. So, and I and I also know that you are associated with the Woodhall Foundation, um, mm -hmm. which is a great foundation based in DC. It's a it's a human rights um, nonprofit that is focused on uh, sexual right as as you know a basic human right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is something I think we can all agree on, but somehow we don't speak about it because you know we don't speak sex. <laughs> It's yes, like exactly. Forbidden language, right? <laughs> yes, uh -huh. exactly. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I love that your podcast is just called Speak Sex with Eve. I love it. It's great. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially with Eve, that little biblical reference. I know. I like that. It made me laugh, especially because I joke around. I'm a recovering Catholic, so. There you go. <laughs> I know. I have to say this. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I want to talk about you only. But speaking of Eve <laughs> and speaking of the Bible, I was just reading the news and they were talking about the Democratic, you know, the DNC, the National Convention. Yes. And they were talking about Biden's son. And there was an uh, article, uh, there was a note about how he had an affair, I believe, with his uh, deceased brother's widow, so the wife of his brother who passed away mm. uh, after he and his wife separated, had separated. And this is the Washington Post, so your hometown. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> your hometown yes. paper. And not only they had the link, so, uh, you know, so it was underlined, but they said, you know, he had a biblical <laughs> relationship, underlined biblical, because that's the link, you know, with his, uh, with his uh -huh. sister-in-law. Sister Wow. And I was mm -hmm. like, wait, wait. So, like, now biblical means incestuous? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know yeah. this is the, the, the metaphor. <laughs> it's like, well, I would have, I mean, my, my first go to was that they just meant that they had intimate relations and they didn't actually want to use the word SEX. But who knows what they really meant, right? <laughs> I don't know. I thought, like, why can't they say, you know, an affair or, or you know, yeah. They don't have to don't say know. sex. So I don't know where the word biblical came from, but that's interesting how... You know, it is interesting. It started as like the the book of law, the book of like, you know, patriarchal law that was not allowing yeah. us anything. And here we are like with biblical meaning, all kinds of stuff. 
Yeah. So no, that's interesting. I'm glad you told me that. I didn't see right. that. I don't, I don't actually read the Washington Post, but <laughs> <laughs> I did watch most of the speeches. But yeah, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing yeah. that with me. And how interesting they use the word biblical. It's like, especially during the DNC, like this country was founded on separating religion from politics. And here they are, you know, using the word biblical in the Washington Post to describe that. You know? <laughs> yeah. And just like, you know, it makes you conscious of, of the words that we use and where they yeah. come from, you know, and the journey that, you know, they have followed, that the words have followed, you know. It's like when I say, you know, when I say my narrative and say that I'm lesbian, and people don't, most people in the world, because it's a worldwide wor word that exists in mm. every language, most people don't even know it's a, an island, it's a Greek island, and the people, mm. the women born there are lesbians with a capital L, right? And the small L mm. is the, the meaning of homosexual because in like 600 BC, there was a really gifted woman writer, poet, who wrote about loving women. So it's like, whoa, whoa, what? Mm -hmm. What? You know? Yeah, but that's fascinating. Then if yeah. you Google like lesbian or even the, even the poet's name, you know, which mm -hmm. is kind of like literary knowledge, you'll get all of like the, you know, online porn of like girl on girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> what? Where? Are, yeah. Mm -hmm. So being aware of what we say and how we say it, I think is like a fundamental part of being a sexual being, you know, of kind of like acting out on our sexual human right. And that's mm -hmm. where you come in with the word, with the term non non-monogamy, but ethical. So right. the whole thing, you know, the whole like shtick has been that monogamy is ethical and moral and non-monogamy mm -hmm. is non-ethical and non-moral, immoral, right? Right, um, right. And, you, yeah. and so it's very important, you, the adjective right there, mm -hmm. right, at all times is, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think language is so important because there's, there's the words we use, which I think also are speaking to what's really going inside of, going on inside of us. Like there's energy behind the words we choose and there's a frequency behind the words that we choose. So it kind of speaks to who you are, you know, who you are even in that moment. Since, as we talked about earlier, we're all evolving, you know. But yeah, growing up as a recovering Catholic, I was taught there was only one way to be, you know, compulsory monogamy. And just like you said, like, that's the moral way to be. It's between a man and a woman. Sex is within the bonds of marriage. It's to procreate, to make a child. And it is not about, you know, self-love. Masturbation is bad. You know, so those are the things that I grew up with that I didn't even know at the time how damaging that was for me. Because um, I, I didn't have your path, your vision, where you seemed to uh, know so well exactly who you were and where you wanted to go um, in all areas of your life, including your sexuality. For me, it took me decades to get to where I am now. I'm 51 now. And in my 20s, I was a cheater. You know, because I didn't understand that there was such a thing as consensual non-monogamy or polyamory. I thought in order to, to live the life I want or to have my cake and eat it too, I got to cheat because I didn't know there was any other way. So it really was such a journey for me to understand that there was many ways to have healthy relationships. It doesn't have to be compulsory monogamy just because that's what we were taught or that's what everyone else is doing or that's what's portrayed in the movies or at 
the checkout counters in our books and things of that nature. Um, yeah. So and I want to interrupt you for one second yeah. to say that, you know, treating comes with a heavy psychic cost, you know. Yes. Uh, even when you're young and you don't think about the psychic, so, you know, the psychic trauma mm -hmm. so much, you're still like dealing with um, having to handle, you know, what, what story, what narrative you're telling whom, you know, coordinating yes. uh, and, and a lot of compartmentalizing, which is so, you know, unhealthy if you're trying to find out who you are and put all your parts mm -hmm. together. And instead, yeah. you know, you're a different person with like each, uh, you know, let's say lover, um, because you, and you, you don't, you know, how can you know who you are where all you're trying to do is like not get caught yeah. for being real, for being, yeah. you know, you. So yeah, yeah, cheating, you know, comes not just at the cost of like uh, the relationship or the partner. No, that's secondary. It's mostly like our own, we, you know, the cheater mm -hmm. is the one who pays the, the bigger price. Mm. And, 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 you know, find, has a harder time, like, finding wholeness again, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. I, you said it so beautifully. I couldn't have said it any better. But, yeah, for me, it, it can come down to you, you start chipping away at your own self-esteem. But I even like the way that you said it um, because it, it takes you away from your own wholeness. And it's almost like you're denying who you really are in those moments. And then, like you said, you're also denying the person that you're with from seeing all of you. You know, like you said, you're only showing them a fraction of who you are. So, yeah, you really said that so beautifully. But, yeah, so for me, I just realized that I was starting to just, I was living outside of my values, but then I had to kind of stop and think, well, what, you know, what are my values? And at the time, I wasn't thinking so much about my sexuality, but I was thinking in terms of, you know, I want to live a life of integrity. I want to honor who I am. I want to be honest. And so that's kind of how I discovered consensual non-monogamy. And I eventually today identify mostly as a polyamorous, which, as you said, is kind of like a subset of open relationships. But it's been um, it's been such a journey. And that's partly why I do what I do is I don't want people to have to wallow around and suffer for years and years the way I did. And I want to be able to help them in a really powerful way like learning from, you know, my mistakes or learn from my years of research, you know, so that you don't have to uh, figure it out on your own or have it take, you know, decades instead of weeks or months. So that's, that's partly why I do the work that I do now and why I created the Loving Without Boundaries mission was because I really wish there was somebody like me or like you um, when I was young saying, hey, you know, here, there's lots of different ways you can live your life. You know, you can live it the way you were taught. But you can also live at these other ways that maybe you weren't taught very openly, but here's what that can look like. Here's what that type of existence can be. Here's why that's rewarding. But I didn't have that. You know, I had to kind of bob around and fall on my face a whole bunch of times, you know, <laughs> which is probably, I don't, I don't admit, I'm not sorry any of that happened, right? Because I think our challenges are really what builds that strength and shows us who we are, right? It builds that resilience to get to this moment in time where I get to have this awesome conversation with you. So I'm, I'm delighted for that. Yeah. yeah, I am too. Yeah, and sometimes you have to have loss or, you know, pain, right, uh, to to get that motivation toward change, you know, because, like, mm -hmm. change isn't comfortable and 
it's just too bad, it's too fucking bad that we all have to change our social conditioning in order to begin to approximate like our truth. And, yeah. and I feel that we owe it not just to our partners, you know, as, as a kind of like offering of trust, uh, and of course to ourselves as a quality of life, but also to our children, you know, and like, you know, all, all people to, to try and, you know, normalize them and socialize them in a different way and, mm -hmm. you know, bring, bring knowledge and awareness, uh, you know, to the world at large. You know, I always mm -hmm. kind of like imagine, I always ask myself, like, why are all the reality TV shows about matchmaking and like, you know, whom to marry and the richest human to you know person you can marry instead yeah. of this you know like uh, who is the most you know like polyamorous and you know what's the most ethically non-monogamous uh, relationship you can have um uh -huh. you know or like why isn't that the focus of the conversation on whatever opera and you know like it seems that the norm like you know the the, the which is not the majority but, you know, it's like the top norm, you know, it's the norm mm -hmm. that's kind of like being forced on us. It yeah. insists, you know, insists on that old, totally obsolete, decayed way of like, you know, being a couple. Like, yeah. you know, like you say, like when most marriages end in divorce, that's a sign that something's not working. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I love the way you said that too. Yeah. When you think about those reality shows like The Bachelorette and The Bachelor, it's like they got this tunnel vision. Like this is the only way you can be. You've got to go get married. You've got to go have the 2.5 kids and the picket fence. And that's the only way that you can be. And we, we glorify it and put it up on this pedestal. But I love that. Like, what if we, you know, honored the rainbow, right? We honored all the different ways that you can be and kind of not glorified it, but but just shined a spotlight on that and, you know, made it a different kind of a contest. Let's see how um, different we can be and how, you know, nonconformist we can be. There's a book I read recently called The Art of Nonconformity by Chris Gilbo that uh, brings me such joy if any of your listeners might enjoy it. But it just talks about that. You know, going the path less traveled and what does that look like? And it can also be so incredibly rewarding, you know, carving your own path. So um, I love the way you shared all that and, um, and that, but it's taken me a long time to get there. And so I'm also happy for like the next generation because I feel like they've got more options that they're aware of than, than I did, at least when I was younger. So how did you come to make it basically your, your life's work? What was that? step that transition it it would took a while like it definitely was not overnight for me um it's uh i i was a cheating serial monogamist and i decided that wasn't what i wanted to do anymore it wasn't working for me and so i just kind of drew, drew a line in the sand and said look i want to live a life of integrity and honesty not what that looks like but then i went on match.com because i at the time i didn't know where else and I met the man who's now my husband. So as we were falling in love, I, we just had some honest conversations. And I just said, hey, look, I've cheated on every guy I've ever dated. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to cheat on you. And I don't know what to do with that. And he said, well, you know, I just got out of a relationship with a, a woman who was cheating on her husband. And it ended like, you know, awful. And I don't want to go down that path either. And so we just kind of made a pact that we were going to 
live the life that we wanted and construct our relationship the way we wanted, despite what society or religion was telling us to do. And at the time, we didn't know what that meant. But eventually, I learned polyamory when I read the book, The Ethical Slut. And, um, and so we did a lot of research for a couple of years as we were kind of building the foundation for our relationship. But then eventually we did start to delve into seeing other people. Um, this after we got married, we just got married, leaving out the forsake all others vow and our wedding vows. And um, oh, at the that's time, nice. that's so nice. Yeah. 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 So we left everything else in, you know, I want to honor and love and serve you. We just left out the forsake all others. And um, again, not knowing what that looked like at the time. And eventually, at the, t- at the moment, I, was, uh, I had a nine to five job working in an advertising agency. And so I'm, I'm a creative person. So as I was exploring this journey, I had lots of feelings, you know, whether it was jealousy or confusion. Um, and also, I, uh, we found out we couldn't have children, my husband and I. So, um, and also, my parents died around this time. So there was a period where I went through depression and I went through therapy to get through a midlife crisis of kind of who am I kind of a thing. And around that time, I started the blog. I started the Loving Without Boundaries blog, and it was partly a living journal to help me work through these emotions I was having. And I didn't realize that I was kind of accidentally creating a community or like a dear kitty column. Uh, but but eventually, I ended up leaving my day job, and I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I became an entrepreneur. And I thought, well, I don't know what to do with this blog, but why don't I start a podcast? Maybe that'll lead somewhere. So then I created the podcast, Living Without Boundaries, just five years ago, and it's still going strong with 145 episodes so far. And then eventually, somebody said to me, you know, why don't you become a coach, and you can help even more people instead of just doing podcast interviews. And I was like, well, that's really interesting because I love psychology. I thought about maybe going back to school to become a therapist, but I wasn't sure if that was the right path. So I ended, I ended up studying to become a relationship coach. And ever since I made that decision, I just, I know 100% uh, for sure that I'm on the right path because it is such an honor working with people in the um, LGBTQ plus community or people who maybe were almost going to get divorced and open up their relationship and they don't know how the, they don't have the tools to know how to do it in a healthy way um, or also relationships where they were cheating, but now they don't want to cheat and they're trying to find new paths on how to do that. Um, and also people who want to live their most authentic life, like owning their sexuality, being sex positive in a mostly sex negative world. So I also help people like explore their kinks in a shame free environment. So that's kind of like the long winded answer of how I got from point A to point B. But it's taken me decades. You know, I loved my first career uh, working as an artist, a graphic designer, and up to a creative director at an advertising agency. But this kind of second career really resonates with me. And I still get to use those artistic talents to design my website or um, other endeavors like that, like to put together worksheets for my clients and things of that nature. And uh, when the world opens up, I also went back to school for art. So I was taking art classes once a week just to kind of get my hands in that. And I I resonate with um, figure drawing. So I take naked figure drawing and I, I hope someday to be illustrating my own sex books, you know, drawing um, the people in different sex positions. That's kind of one of my big goals. <laughs> like how to kind of continue the journey you know yeah 
yeah. yeah. I love that. I like the big you know, picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You know, I, I feel that um, that's, you know, one of the, like, the only ways to kind of, like, fulfill, live a fulfilling life, you know, is to kind of change around what you do. Um, mm-hmm. Because we have so many facets and so many gifts and we have so many like unknown geniuses, you know, there's so much like mm-hmm. lo- lost genius in humanity. And I feel, mm-hmm. you know, that the reason is that, you know, the production machine wants us to to be replicable you know they want to know what we do what we like (laughs) what we shop right if we could like not even change address like not even change a number even better for the system right so in a way like our our goal toward being authentic is to hack every system you know and one of the ways to hack the you know the the hamster wheel is exactly that is to just say you know i love i love drawing um and you know, drawing the body is such a, you know, kind of like participatory, mm-hmm. you know, job for me. And I want to go down that path, you know, and it's okay mm-hmm. if I don't make that much money. It's okay if like, you know, uh, people around me kind of like maybe, uh, you know, look down on that or make fun of that because why are you giving up a profitable something or other for something ambiguous? Well, the reason is happiness, right? It's joy. It's it's, yeah. fr- it's freedom. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that the authenticity again. So, yeah, I, I really uh, appreciate and admire the ability to morph and to kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, um, without without having any kind of like negative issues with with uh, you know making money the ability to be able to say no to um you know the extreme norm you know mm-hmm. to say no to like the extreme predictable to to say yes to what we don't know to what's not yeah. you know that's not expected of us and i feel that that's when yeah. we get the most reward in life when we say mm-hmm. yes to what we're not really sure about, you know, we take a little leap. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's beautiful. So what what are some ways, like concrete ways, for our listeners um, that you recommend or you've experienced and you still practice um, that you know that help uh, couples practice non-monogamy? And again, that are concrete. You know, for example, uh, going on a on a website or you know going on a party do do they do it separately do they tell each other about it do they give each other details do they do it at the same time are they allowed relationships you know this is all like a kind of gray area and i know it's up to the couple in the end mm-hmm. but it's yeah. nice for people people enjoy hearing uh you know like real life examples and real life details of the how to mm-hmm. sure so what I would say is a lot of times people, sometimes people have infidelity and then they're trying to figure out how to, so I'll take it from that first. So if there's, if one or both partners cheat on each other first, and then they want to figure out how to have an open relationship, I would say that the first thing in that case is to rebuild the trust first between the couple. So to rebuild the the foundation and the definitions I love of rebuilding trust are to uh, to consistently get your needs met by 
your partner in that relationship and also to have transparency over time to build trust. So if you are coming from that place of infidelity, I would say that's really step number one. And if it's a different situation where it's a couple where, you know, the trust wasn't broken and they're just looking to open up their relationship, in both cases, I would say starting with having some really honest conversations and doing some research um, is a, is a what I would recommend. Like my husband and I, we did research for a couple years, literally, like about two years before we ever officially opened up our relationship. And some of that was to make sure the trust was there in the foundation, but also... One thing I like to say is, you know, we weren't even taught how to have healthy monogamous relationships. And a lot of us didn't have good role models for that. I didn't have good role models with my parents in healthy marriage, and neither did my husband. His his parents did not have a very healthy relationship either. And we certainly haven't had a lot of people teach us how to have a healthy, open-style relationship. So it can just be really important to to read the books, listen to the podcasts, talk to people who maybe are living a open relationship and ask them about that. So I would so, say the research is really helpful. Right. And how did you decide to, so let's say, let's take a little shortcut here. Sure. <laughs> how did you guys, the two of you specifically proceed after those two years? Um, I went, so I mean, then I, I believe in online dating. I've been online dating since 1996, so you're a pioneer. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm a pioneer with online dating, and uh, and also coming from the world of advertising, like direct mail is all a numbers game, you know. So I kind of believe it's a numbers game. So um, for me, I just once we made the decision, we were like, okay, we're ready. Um, I just went online, and at the time, um, I was experimenting with. I've experimented with uh, FetLife, Adult Friend Finder, when I was more in the swinging type of community, and uh, more recently, OkCupid. So I just went to different apps, um, and uh, you know, I just kind of did it the old school way. And uh, when I had my first date, my husband dropped me off on the date. <laughs> You know, and then it was just a date, you know, um, but yeah, so, but I think it's, we've also experimented with going to swinger events and clubs around the Washington DC area. Uh, it's, it's kind of like very underground, but there's, there's like five or six different clubs in the DC and Baltimore area. So we would go as a couple, but you know, you're in that type of scenario with other people who, you know, are open and are you know, looking for that type of relationship and you never know what's going to happen. Like we ended up at one point running into uh, some coworkers of my husband's, which is hilarious and awkward all at the same time. <laughs> but, but to your point, it's kind of just diving into the fear of the unknown, but, you know, doing it, um, you know, with some knowledge in the sense that we did the research kind of beforehand, but you still don't know what you don't know. Like you're going to be in situations where you've just got to adapt and evolve. And that's how you learn sometimes is on the fly, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's kind of how we did so, it in the beginning. So do you mostly uh, have uh, your let's say secondary or your your other your parallel uh, relationship uh, separately from each other and then report to each other um, how does that how do you practice that sure so i guess that that would go back to in the kind of early stages if you're already in a relationship coming up with your agreements ideally before you go out into the world sometimes you can do it at the same time and that's fine too but um 
some people like don't ask, don't tell as a relationship structure. So that might be, um, you know, when you, you do go out and have other relationships, but you just don't want to hear about it. Maybe you're too worried about dealing with jealousy. I know. I don't personally subscribe to that because to me, it's just close to cheating. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't subscribe to that at all either because then it leaves room for the imagination and that's not our friend, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You so do not want to be, you know, you don't want to like enable your inner critic to kind of like imagine all kinds of like, you know, amazing partners that your significant yeah. other or your husband or your wife, you know, are, mm-hmm. are with <laughs> while you're still looking. So, yeah, no, I, I don't think th- I think that that failed both in the military <laughs> and in, mm-hmm. in, in uh, you know, non-ethical, non-monogamy. So let's yeah. let's discuss ways of kind of like inclusivity and, and, and you know, having each you know the partners like participate in each other's lives in some way as they live you know freer lives yeah well i think it's still like as you said it kind of still depends on the individuals and the couple but i definitely prefer as much honesty and transparency as possible so um and so some people can develop relationships with their friends right so you're just saying hey i'm starting to develop feelings for our friend Susie, let's talk about that. But if you're like me or you just went out and had dates, I mean, obviously my husband was very aware when I was on a date, he wanted to know who I was with. It's for my safety. And as that relationship progressed, I was just always open about what was going on. And then at this point, we, um, like one of my partners lives here. So, I mean, we're literally, you know, all living together. So there isn't really any one way to do it. But I think what's important is um, having as much transparency and honesty and figuring out where that line is between telling each other every single thing versus privacy, you know, because there are some things that we still want to keep private. But I think that's going to be different with each individual and also different with each relationship. Right. So what are some of the examples of the things that, you know, you want to keep private? Well, I guess for me on the sexual side, like I have a little bit more of a a BDSM dom sub relationship with one of my partners, whereas with my husband, it's a little bit more what we call vanilla in the bedroom. And so he knows that, but I don't really tell him about, you know, when we're hanging from the chandelier and all the details of what we're doing, you know, Um, and vice versa. But we've even experimented with that because it can also be a little bit sexy, right? To start delving into talking right, about something. Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. And that's interesting, actually, I think, as an overall, uh, you know, opening, door opener. You know, if you are in a relationship that has already, like, existed for a number of years and has a good, you know, purpose, like, it, it fulfills you in all kinds of ways, right, uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a partnership, but meanwhile, you want to explore a side of your sexuality that you're newly curious about, and your partner has no such interest at all, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe even, like, a little judgy, because it's not their interest, you know, so people right. tend to, like, be, to kind of, like, simplify things that they don't, can't empathize mm-hmm. with, right? That's another, and that's a, like an, an door opener in the sense that you can experience that with someone else. So you can experience, you know, sexuality or intimacy or even like, you know, speaking sex with another person so long mm-hmm. as your, you know, partner, your primary partner or however, whatever term you want to, you know, use, um, 
knows is aware and has given consent you know exactly and it all goes yeah. back to that i feel you know the consent is very important and the understanding our understanding as human beings of of what you know free consent is uh, you know uh, and the difference between like consent and coercion you know kind of like nagging someone and pushing them and kind, you know until you can turn the no into a yes is not consent because it's gonna right. come back and, and bite you it, you know there mm -hmm. it's gonna be taken back inevitably right so it has mm -hmm. to be given you know, freely and from a place of like understanding and empathy and respect and trust. Otherwise, it will, you know, it will be, ter it, it will turn normative and there will be like the usual drama and guilt tripping and betrayal and the whole, you know, you can't escape all, all that if you curse. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you kind of like think you got consent because you forced somebody against the wall, I, you know, I feel like that's something to be conscious about, aware of, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and avoid. Um, and yeah, so do you find that, uh, w so when you go to events or parties or clubs, mm -hmm. you guys kind of veer off and do your own thing? Or, or do you kind of um, stay together? We don't, we, don't go to a, we don't go to a ton of events anymore, but but when we do, actually, I uh, late, I used to go with my husband, but now I, I mainly go with my other partner. But actually, we're usually together most of the time because we're, um, I joke around that I'm polyfidelitish, meaning like I'm mostly just with those two partners and we're just kind of exploring our sexuality in those two relationships. So when I'm at events, I, I might, you know, just be kind of um, running around with him and, and experimenting with, do we want to check out the BDSM booth over here? Or what do we, we're kind of exploring our own sexuality, but doing it in an open way and wearing crazy looking outfits and, you know, just like letting our freak flag fly, as I yes, often say. Yes, yeah. hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not necessarily looking for partners right now, but I guess when, if I was looking for partners, I just would probably go back online and just, you know, put another dating profile up because I still like that in terms of getting to know somebody's mind a little bit first before I meet them in person. And, um, but I'm still open to meeting people when we are at events, but usually I've never had a relationship out of that personally, but I've made some great friends, you know, when I go to events, but it's mostly been for me about kind of ex us exploring our sexuality together. And I happen to have multiple partners, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, you need like all the trust because sometimes, you know, a partner will go to a party or will go to an event and everything will seem amazing. And then like, you know, it could be weeks or months later, the insecurity like, you know, raise, rears its, its an ugly head <laughs> and something yeah. that was, you know, consented to before may somehow, you know, like retroactively seem, you know, like. A, a unacceptable or like a, be yeah. a betrayal they're all kinds you know the human the human heart especially in in the process that we are now of like evolving from one kind of oppression to you know a greater like uh, opening hopefully you know that change it, it's very uh, fraught with you know all kinds of like unexpected reactions mm -hmm. and all kinds of things come up from our past and you know you gotta kind of like keep mm -hmm. being aware on a daily basis and and you know slowing down our reactions so we can 
make sure it's our own, you know, and not one that like mm-hmm. we've inherited or, or been taught, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you said there. I mean, when we are engaging in multiple relationships, it can bring up, as you said, trauma from the past and hurts from the past, but that can be a really good thing because as they bubble up, you know, we can start healing those things once we become aware of them. But it is a byproduct in some cases of opening up a relationship or having multiple relationships because we're like, whoa, where did that feeling come from? What's that jealousy or insecurity or what's that? But that can be... Um, I, I call it sometimes our emotions are like the check engine light on your car. You know, it's letting you know that you have to check under the hood to see what's going on. Maybe you need to take care of something. Yeah. So it can be very healing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I and I also um, al- always you know say speak to to the idea of like owning you know owning a human, which of course is like you know the dictionary definition of slavery. Um, but you know, in a sense. Um, we cannot own another, you know. We, mm-hmm. You can't own what's in the heart or, or the mind of another person. So it's kind of like a doom, a doomed quest. <laughs> you know, you, uh-huh. you really can't uh, kind of like know at all times what someone is thinking, feeling, wanting. So this, this quest for like monogamy, if you take it all the way, is, you know, is... Uh, self-defeating um and i and i feel that you know making space for our for ourselves and our partners to kind of be real you know requires mm-hmm. exactly that you know you just gotta keep checking in you know checking mm-hmm. that like all the parts of the yeah. of the machinery of the vehicle that's this partnership you know are functioning you know and if there mm-hmm. are like red lights i don't know you know taking it to the mechanic <laughs> Yeah, a relationship Uh tune-up time. Exactly. Either the relationship tune-up or the relationship emergency room, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think just keeping those communication lines open and it can feel to some people like a lot of work, but also it can open up a lot more connection and intimacy to have those really beautiful conversations as you are in that space of um, exploring your own sexuality, exploring your own feelings as you're opening up your relationship. So it can, as you said, it can definitely be quite an adventure, you know, venturing into the fear of the unknown, but it, with it can come so much personal growth and so many rewards, including just living your true authentic life. Like, you know, I, I think it's highly likely that we're going to find multiple people attractive, both emotionally and physically in our lifetime. And being able to just kind of admit that and talk about it and then potentially act on it with consent is just so freeing and liberating. So. Yeah. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, some people are afraid, which I totally honor, you know, some people have anxiety, especially nowadays, right? So like it may be too much for them to get into the physical realm. And that's something that they are, you know, uh, personally, even, you know, like on an individual basis, not ready for um you know, kind of like getting into like the, the you know, the sloppiness of the body <laughs> of a lot of other bodies. But having yeah. the conversation and speaking it and understanding it and experiencing it, you know, emotionally and accepting it in others and kind of including it in our vocabulary of norm of what's acceptable, I think is enough. You know, if that's mm-hmm. all you're, you can do or that's all you're willing to do, 
that's amazing because you're still like changing what the norm is. You know, you're bringing up, mm-hmm. you know, the norm of like love to a level that includes much more than it did, you know, in in the previous, you know, for our mothers or our grandmothers, right? Yeah. So that's like, absolutely. I think that that's, you know, a lot of, of, a, of contribution, if, you know, even if for the, you know, listeners and the people who are involved on, at, on that level, you know, of mm-hmm. kind of saying, this is what I stand for, you know, this is what makes sense to me, this is what I believe in, regardless of what, I, you know, they practice, you know, there may be people who are going through an asexual stage, that's beautiful too, if, you know, they discuss it, and if they bring up what they would be open to, were they, mm-hmm. you know, willing or, or interested in, you know, sexual exchange. So I feel that, you know, the, the dialogue and the, again, you know, I put emphasis on the speaking, you know, the dialogue, the coaching, the, the community building, you know, the kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, lifting the veil, the, you know, the revealing <laughs> of what's going on, you know, in fact, you know, among humans is so, you know, useful socially uh, as we, you know, enter the 21st century, as we enter the whatever, you know, I mean, the way that it's counted these days, it's the third millennium. There have been so many more, but yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> the third millennium of this particular civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and hopefully it will be one that's more enlightened uh, and more just and, uh, you know, inclusive, and whatever your politics may be, I feel that, you know, of all, from all sides, people are looking for inclusivity and justice, you know, people are feeling mm. that they're not being heard, you know, they're feeling that they are rejected, that they are not respected, that they are, you know, um, c- you know, considered like lesser, right? So kind of mm-hmm. uplifting, you know, everyone, uh, which is something that, a sexual conversation or a moral conversation can do because everyone mm-hmm. has sex and everyone has a sense of right and wrong. You know, that's very important to how we change as a society, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, yeah, would you give us your definition of ethical non-monogamy, uh, how it's different from polyamory, and how uh, you and whether and, and how uh, kind of like partner equality features in that? Like, is there a, is there a requirement or a, a, or a, a way to assure that both partners are feeling equal, even if one kind of engages much more in extracurricular than the other? Yeah, those questions. What an excellent question. That's a great question. So, um, the way I would describe ethical non-monogamy is kind of like a broader umbrella of the act the the act with consent of being in multiple relationships that can include both sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy doing it with the knowledge of of all parties so um so and very much the opposite of cheating. Like some people uh, think that, for example, polyamory I've heard as being said that that's just licensed to cheat, you know? So the whole point of putting the word ethical in front of non-monogamy is highlighting the fact that no, it's actually above board, it's honest, everyone is aware of it. 
polyamory I would describe as a subset of that where the focus is very much more on love it doesn't mean that there isn't possibly sex as well but the, the focus is more on the the amory part the amore so some people will say that they have people in their family in their intimate network who they consider a partner but they may never have sexual relations than one of their partners so um so i would say polyamory is very much a, a smaller subset and also um to describe it as um like I, I entered this through kind of the swinging community but for me it became very important to develop a relationship you know like i love falling in love for example and i i have to love like that i love falling in love with the whole person and that's also why i identify as polyamorous it's um, sex is fun and pleasure is good for you. And, you know, I, I enjoy a good orgy just like the next person, so to speak. But, um, but as I've gotten, as I've gotten older and gotten to know myself at this stage of my life, um, I love the kind of the more the focus on the, the relationships. So, um, so that's probably why I identify as polyamorous. In terms of the um, equality standpoint, I would say my best answer for that would be for the individuals to learn uh, from experience that when we compare ourselves, like if we're saying, you know, my partner has more dates than I do or they're having more success, um, I get it because we're human, right? We can't just turn that off like that. But it's important to just remember that comparison can really be the thief of our own joy and each of our journeys can be different. You know, so my pace might be slower or, you know, I may not meet the next love of my life for a couple of years from now. Um, but maybe my partner, they're either at a faster pace or they just happen to fall in love with my best friend and that's okay with me. Um, you know, some of it's just, you know, happenstance. So coming from that place of being really happy for our loved one, when they're happy, I mean, some of that is if they do have maybe more partners than you do at that moment in time, but kind of having that faith inside of yourself that, you know, each person's journey is going to be unique and to just, you know, enjoy, enjoy that journey. And, and I would say the other thing I would touch on with equality is um, understanding your boundaries so that you don't kind of accidentally end up in a codependent relationship. So understanding what your personal rights are and where you end and another person begins, because I think that can um, overlap sometimes with equality if we're not really having good personal boundaries within our own relationship and it kind of blurs the lines sometimes. Um, so for me, it's really important to always have that lens of, are we in a healthy relationship? Are we striving to be in a healthy relationship? And um, because again, like that comparison game or that um, feeling a sense of equality, you know, seeing that uh, focusing on, is there inequality here? Um, maybe that's not the right question to be asking in that moment. You know, maybe the right question to be asking is, is my partner really happy? Am I happy? Are my needs getting met? You know, how can I meet my own needs? Um, do I need to be doing other things in my life where I feel in flow, like art, like we were talking about, you know? Because there's lots of ways to feel fulfilled or also like if one partner's more into BDSM and the other is vanilla, well, there's nothing wrong with that. You're just kind of honoring each person's truth. There doesn't have to be anything wrong with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 
And I, feel I, I, I wanted to point out, you know, that you are a, a, a great example of how, you know, sex gets better with age, you know, mm. we, we tend to as a culture kind of like, you know, glamorize youth um, as the, you know, as the most like sexy I guess it's sexy looking maybe, you know, time in life. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> But I think that in, in the experience of most of the people I speak to, most of the people I've spoken to, right, it does take a, a couple of decades, two, three, sometimes four decades into it. So not mm -hmm. from, from birth, from being sexually active to actually like find what works for you and having that openness, you know, where you keep like reading and learning and dating. Um, mm -hmm helps you know uh so did you when you go on online dating uh, apps do you tweak your profile depending on like who you are at the moment what stage you're at uh, what you want to explore is that something that 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 happens so that you for example uh you know include uh, liking BDSM or, or liking King when you when you're ready to explore that where you might not sure. have in the past? 100%. Yeah, I mean, for me, some of the, the joy of this freer lifestyle is getting to kind of celebrate my evolution, you know, so getting to uh, rewrite my profile or show different pictures and, yeah, lean into whatever I'm really excited about in that moment and kind of celebrating that. Because also, I think when we put that megaphone out there of like, this is who I am today, you know, you're going to attract back people who are like, right on, I'm all about that. That, you know <laughs> and so you know you'll start attracting people to you that are perfect for you at that moment in time because I love how we're all evolving and changing and and to your point yeah I mean for me sex has only gotten better as I've as I've gotten older 100% you know because <laughs> yeah. I learn more about my own body and I learn more about what I like um, you know I've got more disposable income to buy these crazy sexy outfits if I want yeah, to the outfits, you know, or the toys yeah exactly more more vibrators when I want to which is great you know yeah <laughs> exactly yeah 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 go to events mm -hmm. you know uh, go on vacations that include all that stuff so yeah I mean having a, a little extra income and you know having like uh, the extra knowledge wow it's like mm -hmm. makes a big difference Yeah. yeah. And even even if you don't have a ton of money, like as you get older, you learn hacks, right? Or you make friends who are, hey, if you speak at this event, I'll give you some free swag, you know. So you also have more connections and more networks as you get older as well. You know, like I wouldn't have met you if it wasn't me going on this journey that I've been on. So I'm happy for that. Yeah, I'm happy for that too. I'm happy for yeah. that too. And you mm -hmm. know, before we close, I would like to ask you to tell us a little bit about the Woodhall Foundation. Sure. So the Woodhull Sexual Freedom uh, Foundation and Summit, um, I'm, I'm a supporter of it. I'm not actually a member of it, but it was something that I discovered, I want to say in, I think, 2016 was the first year that I went. And I was just shocked. It was um, down the street from my house and I had no idea it was there. And uh, somebody told me about it and I went and they're like, what do you mean? You live here and you didn't know this was here? I was like, nope. But, but um, I've been attending it every year since. But um, what I, I love about it is they, they do really focus uh, from a social justice lens on the fundamental how we want to and how we want to them. 
And so it's definitely very much about um, relationship equality and sexual equality. And there is a bent towards that we're all sexual freedom fighters. That's one of the ways that they kind of talk about it. Like we're all fighting for our sexual freedom, um, whether that's the, the right to enjoy our sexuality or to change our gender if we want to. Um, but it's it's really amazing when I've gone and I always a ton when I go to the Woodhall Sexual Freedom Summit. It's normally in August every year. And um, I've met some really great people there. So um, I just can't say enough wonderful things about it. I love the work that they're doing. Um, They also talk a lot about um you know the rights for for sex workers and just different people who are on you know the fringe of society uh doing their best to live their best life or to make a living and how we can support people and also help them get the right mental health support that they need um and just really wrapping our arms around the whole lgbtq plus community as well so it's really an amazing organization so thank you for asking that yeah 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 yeah, and I feel that one of the best things that have happened to, has happened to marriages actually is, you know, the legalization of gay marriage because, you know, the definition of like uh, equality in marriage, you know, came along mm. along with that, right? So mm. it kind of like stretched open uh, uh, considerably, right, the confines of of marriage, uh, at least for for the females, you know, the the more like cis traditional conventional, you know, female partners mm-hmm. uh, who, who identified with marriage as dependency, confinement, right, and, and had a hard time feeling any type of equality in it. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. think that, like, bringing in what we, we think, uh, you know, you, you use the word fringe, you know, b- bringing in the, the, the outliers, you know, the ones who don't quite mm-hmm. fit, is yeah. is the best way to open it up for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. to, to express ourselves. So um, yeah, and uh, hopefully th- there is so much more to be done. But you know, hopefully our numbers will yeah. grow and our accessibility will grow. And absolutely, yeah, the community, this community will just you know get bigger and bigger. So mm-hmm. you know, thank you for. Uh, I, I'd like to know if there is anything else you want to talk about, and then of course I will need you to uh, you know share your credentials, your website, your podcast. Sure. Yeah, I would just say another organization that I'm proud to be a part of is called the um, American Psychological Association Consensual Non-Monogamy Task Force. So that's based out of Berkeley, California. Where they are helping to destigmatize uh, consensual monogamy and also again help people from healthcare workers, regardless of your gender or if you identify as consensually non-monogamous or not. Um, so that's that's another plug I would um, I'd love to make there. And I guess the only other thing I would add is just um, you know for you and your listeners. Anyone who is living their most authentic life, whether it is um, from a, a place of being gender fluid or wanting to have relationship equality, it just 
I just want to honor you and your listeners. Like it takes, you know, bravery and courage to swim upstream in our world and to walk to the beat of a different drummer and to really own who you are and, um, and just know that, you know, I see you, I honor you and it can just get better if you want it to get better. And also there is never any harm if you are needing of any help, you know, it's okay to reach out. I think a lot of people feel a lot of stigma around reaching out, whether it's, um, for a therapist or a coach, you know, that can sometimes be the best thing that you can do um, so that you can get to the place that you want to be in your life um, in a much faster way and start living, living out your dreams today. So, um, so yeah, and as far as um, where to find me and my work, uh, you can just go to lovingwithoutboundaries.com and there you can find the podcast of the same name as well as I have a master class there called a Jealousy Survival Guide for people who are struggling as they're opening up their relationships. And you can find my blog there. Um, you'll find our podcast interview there shortly. But, but yeah, it's just um, an honor to, um, to serve the community and, and I'm so grateful to be here. And thank you so, so, so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better. And I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate you too. And I hope yeah. we continue our conversation. And I do hope that, you know, we find ways to work together because I think we're just, you know, in the same path. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm so happy that I was able to be on your podcast and that you were able to come and, and speak to our listeners. And this way I mm -hmm. get to know you so much better. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, until uh, next time. Everybody, mm -hmm. keep speaking sex. If I could make love incessantly, I would be God.